Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. And this podcast follows up on the previous episode. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month. And June 27th was PTSD Awareness Day. And so this is in conjunction with that. Trauma is a relevant topic to all of us individually, collectively, as we'll talk about. It affects us all. And it is a topic that we all need to address and be aware of. And we have a perfect person to talk about it today. Stormy Hines, thank you so much for joining. And how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Great. Thank you. Okay. So will you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what led you to teaching on this subject? Tell us all about you. Okay. So like Whitney said, my name is Stormy Hines. I grew up in Pocatello. Um, I graduated from Pocatello High School in 2010. I then went on and uh, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in 2016 from ISU in English. And then I went back and got my master's degree in education. Um, And so I've been teaching for the last, let's see, what is this, four years? And um, I really started getting into trauma-informed care and just trauma in general about three years ago. Um, I was teaching at Pocatello High School and a lot of those kids deal with a lot of crap and a lot of the trauma that, you know, they endure daily or had. And so that was a topic that I felt that nobody really wanted to talk about. And I felt like it was so important. And somebody who has also dealt with trauma, um, particularly in my childhood, like this was something that I felt that was going to help me heal as well. Um, doing the work and being able to teach, you know, other people and educators around, you know, the state on the topic of trauma, because it is such a taboo, um, stigmatized topic that I think a lot of times people really struggle hearing about it or wanting to learn about it. And it's just kind of one of those things that makes us a little uncomfortable, but I feel like we have to be uncomfortable with this because that's how we're going to grow. Yes. And that applies to life. And I love how you specifically identified the discomfort with accessing the information and learning about it. And sometimes there's a barrier there for whatever reason. And I love that you highlighted that because that's very real and it is far reaching and God bless you and educators like you and people in the world like you who care and who are willing to draw from their own experience and connect with others and help others and illuminate tough subjects like this and make it accessible to everybody. Because like you said, this is something that is a very significant topic. And so tell us more about your certification process and what you did to do what you do. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so at first I started just buying books on Amazon and following blogs and following like Instagram pages that were, you know, centered around it. Um, I love TED Talks. And so I started listening and watching a bunch of TED Talks about it. And then a few years ago, we had a professional development for School District 25, like before the kids came back to school. And there was a gentleman, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he had come and talked to us about trauma and how Um, we deal with trauma and also how our kids deal with trauma. And that was, I think, the big push for me to start looking into getting certified in trauma-informed care and teaching. And so I found some online stuff through the Center for Adolescent Studies. And at first I did the two-hour, you know, just intro course, and then I did the eight-hour course. And now I'm in the middle um, of a 20-hour course. And so I have a lot of knowledge and understanding and education on this. And I just, I really started doing it just to bring it one into my own life to help me heal. And then also into my classroom to help my kids that I educate heal from any trauma that they've experienced. Yes. Ooh, yes. And point I want to address to what you had just said helps you heal. So when I had posted about PTSD a few days ago, And that's what prompted our connection as far as talking about this. I mean, we talked about podcasting before, but I posted about PTSD. I'd shared some posts from other people on it and somebody reached out privately and asked my thoughts on healing while you're being vulnerable. So she essentially was asking, is that mutually exclusive? Can you heal and help others and share your experience? And I said, absolutely. And I truly believe that's also what furthers your healing. Maybe sometimes, and you weigh in on this because I'd love to get your insight on this. Sometimes when you're really in it at the onset of it, of your healing process, then sometimes you just kind of need to circle the wagons and attend to yourself. And then maybe once you get beyond that and have progressed a little further in that and your healing journey, then you can start to share your experience and be vulnerable and put it out there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll just use my own personal experience because I can't speak for anybody else. But growing up, I had a really rough childhood. Um, My dad passed away when I was five. My mom remarried and my stepfather was not very kind man. Um, And so, you know, throughout my childhood, there was a lot of trauma. Some was, you know, prompted because I guess it was, I'm trying to think of how to present this. It wasn't something that my stepdad had intended to do. He did not sometimes intend on, you know, creating that trauma, but there were other times that he did. And, you know, growing up, there was a lot of distrust and just scary moments. And so as I grew up, I started to kind of see that the repercussions of that trauma and what I was experiencing And, you know, I, when I was a senior, I was removed from my home and I lived on my own my whole senior year. And just all of that trauma just continued to just pile on top of itself. And I was really good at just pretending that it wasn't there and that it was fine and there was nothing wrong. And I just was stressed. And then I had a mental breakdown and I decided that I needed time away from my mom who I have found out since then triggers me in many, many ways. And so I took about a year and a half. I disconnected from my mom completely. And that was what I needed to heal. I needed to be able to be away from 
that and person who would trigger me constantly. And now my mom and I have a better relationship, but like we've really, really had to work on it. And we both had to just put everything out there in order to be able to heal and to be able to say like, I messed up, you messed up, here's how I messed up. And I'm sorry for that. I will do better and prove that you're going to do better. Yeah. Key. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. That matters so much. And I feel like really will help people relate and connect. So thank you. How hard was that initially to draw that line between you and your mom while you could heal before you reconnected? It was really hard. It needed to happen. And fortunately I was going to therapy and my counselor was super supportive and really it was my idea. My little sister had um, become pregnant and they decided that they were going to put the baby up for adoption. And it was just, it was a lot of like things that just happened just the way that they needed to, in order for me to just finally be able to cut the cord because my mom and I have always had a very contentious relationship. I love my mother to death, but like the way that we interacted with each other when I was a kid, even into my adulthood was not healthy. And so when my little sister gave birth, I just, I had to, that was, that was going to be the time that I needed to separate myself. I was teaching. I had a stable job. I no longer really needed my mom in any form or fashion. Um, and so I just took the steps, got my own phone plan. I changed my phone number. I moved, I mean, I just cut off all ties and I just, I had sent her an email and I know that that's awful, but I sent my mom an email and I just said, I'm taking time away. Um, please don't try to contact me or anybody, you know, close to me. I just need time to heal. And my mom respected it for the most part, but it was hard for, I think both of us, um, because, you know, people, even if they have really bad relationships with their parents, like you still love them no matter what. Yes. Yes. And so that was really hard, you know, cause I did love my mom, but I had to keep telling myself that this was for me, not for her. And that I can't take her feelings into account anymore. Yeah. Like it's me that has to be able to heal from the trauma and whatnot. And, and also, you know, something to, to remember is trauma isn't the event itself that happened. It's the reaction yeah. to that. event. So and, and trauma can look different. Like, I mean, I had some students that moved up from Texas a few years ago after all the flooding. And I mean, natural disasters can cause trauma and it's the reaction to that trauma or to that event that creates the trauma. Yes. And like we talked about earlier, you and I, there can be any triggering event or event that could cause trauma. So COVID quarantining and this pandemic, for whatever reason, the heaviness in the media, the doomsday predictions, the actual isolation, especially for extroverts, people who need that social connection and release, people who are in abusive homes and they're not able to escape. This can be traumatic for so many different reasons. And so it's, I think, giving yourself grace too and not judging yourself for whatever event is prompting that trauma, but Absolutely. actually like healing. And like you did, taking the time and the space for you to heal yourself, you have to. And you have to for yourself and for others because trauma affects us individually and collectively. And if you're 
not healing your trauma, then you, how you go through the world will affect others and it bleeds onto others. If you don't heal it within yourself, Absolutely. like you said, like it shapes the person that you are. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think why we see a lot of people that are like put in prison or that are reoccurring offenders. There's something there that totally yes. that person to yes. A, you know, I don't want to say criminal because I think that's a really dirty word, but somebody that's a reoffender, and yes. and a lot of times, at least in the experiences that I've been a part of, like a lot of times, it's just a reach out for help. Like oh I, gosh. I don't know how to navigate this world, and so I think a lot of the issue with our, you know, prison pipeline is that there, there's not a lot of healing involved. It's like punitive in the way of well, you did something wrong. Here's your punishment. Here's a tiny, tiny cell. And isolation is not good for anything. <laughs> exactly. It's the exact opposite of what we should do. We take a punitive approach rather than a rehabilitative approach. And so instead of recognizing that, A, like you said, it's a cry for help. B, there's a void that needs to be filled. C, it's some sort of imbalance or illness or mental health issue. We penalize it and i mean as studies have shown and other countries have shown that's not effective as our own track record shows it's not effective and i read a book and i wish i could remember the title but it was a neuropsychologist he obviously knew his stuff he had the experience and the education to support um his book and he contended that if you have all of the, well, anybody actually, he made a pretty broad claim, but he actually went on to support it. And he said, anybody who commits a crime has some sort of mental health imbalance, whether it's something that's minor or whether it's something that's major. And then he cited study after study and case after case that supported that and showed that. And it was fascinating. And he had advised that the worst thing that we could do is throw them into prison and not actually provide therapy and address the underlying issue. I mean, just throwing them in a jail cell is putting a bandaid on the problem and actually exacerbating it in a lot of ways. Like you said, isolation is really, really destructive in a lot of ways, socially, mentally, emotionally, all of it. And so, yeah, that's really not the way I think that we should go about this. Right. Well, and also, um, so along the lines of the neuropsychologist that you were talking about, there's another gentleman, his name is uh, Dan Siegel, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And um, he explains kind of the way that our body works when it is, you know, responding to re-traumatization or triggering or, you know, stress, toxic stress, chronic stress, all of that kind of goes in and he, he talks about the way that our brain works when it comes to that. And it's actually kind of an interesting way that he explains it. So like if you envision your hand or you look down at your hand and it's in your palm is faced towards you, your wrist is going to be kind of your brain stem, if you will. And then if you tuck your thumb in to the palm of your hand, that's going to be like your limbic system where your um, like hippocampus and amygdala and all of those parts of your brain, uh, part of the limbic system live. And then you have your four fingers that stand up. If you curl those over your thumb, that's your frontal lobe. So the way that he explains it is when we re-experience trauma or, you know, we're stressed or we're getting to our, you know, threshold of, we can't do this anymore. What happens is 
he called it flip your lid. And so basically what happens is your frontal cortex or the front of your brain immediately flips up and your limbic system where your thumb is, is going bananas. Oh man. There's cortisol, there's adrenaline, there's all of these hormones that are just pulsing through because that's how your body reacts to stress or chronic stress. Or, you know, like if, if you, for instance, you throw a prisoner into solitary, solitary confinement and they have a trauma of being abandoned or Uh being isolated, that's going to flip their lip. That's going to re-traumatize and re-trigger that person over and over and over again. And putting them alone is doing no good other than to say, well, you suck. So you get to go sit in a corner by yourself. Yeah. Oh, thank you for the explanation. That's fantastic. And it's so nice to have it as a visual, like right in front of your face. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this extends to all crimes. You have drug use and that is almost always a cry for help. That's a self-soothing attempt. And wow. Yes. And that's, that's also a really interesting, you know, segue too is people that are drug addicts, alcoholics, people that use substances out of, you know, the normal range, whatever that is. Um, it's because they're one trying to deal with the trauma or the stress or, you know, whatever it is, or they like, they just don't know what else to do to help. So it's easier for them to go and find methamphetamine or go in, you know, down a whole fifth of whiskey in a night. Like that's totally, that's how they deal with that trauma. And while it is not the healthiest, that also goes into that mental health aspect of addiction. Yes. 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 And we see a lot of prisoners that are, I mean, in jail because of addiction. Oh, absolutely. And then, yeah. And there are so many different kinds of addiction. I mean, you have drug addictions, you have gambling addictions, sex addictions, um, food addictions, like just so many different kinds. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you teach your classes, how do you format them? How do you approach the topic? How do you lay the information out? Well, so the biggest thing is my, my teaching is directed towards educators um, because in everything that I've read, all the research that I've done, if we're able to help kids be able to handle their trauma at an earlier age, we're going to see that they're not going to jump, you know, from school into prison or become juvenile delinquents or, you know, ruin their lives because they don't know how to handle what they're, what they've been given. And in a lot of the situations, you know, they don't have a choice. There are kids that they are minors, their parents, they are in charge of them and that they have no other choice than to be there. And so I format it and I structure it towards educators. And I think a lot of times too, um, particularly in smaller communities or maybe more religious or conservative communities, we see that this idea of trauma is kind of one of those things that nobody wants to talk about. And they're like, oh, they're not traumatized. They're just, they're hormonal. They're teenager. Yeah, just dismiss it. Yeah. It's easier to say like, 
well, they're going through a lot because of puberty. Absolutely. Going through puberty is really hard. It is. If you add on poverty or you add on a parent that's in jail or a parent that's dealing with addiction or abuse or neglect or any of these other things, it's going to exaggerate that issue. And you're going to start to see those, those negative or um, uncomfortable behaviors because some kids it's just, you know, that's just the personality. They just are loud and obnoxious. Other times they're loud and obnoxious because they don't know what else to do. That is the way that they have been conditioned to deal with people. Yeah. And I love how you had noted and started that out with puberty can be hard enough. And that I say this all the time. Like I had wonderful parents, but even with parents who knocked out of the park, I still have baggage from childhood and healing that I have to do from that, that carried over into adulthood that I'm still working on. And I'm 33 and I'm still healing and working on that. And I had wonderful, loving, present parents. And so I can only imagine. So that just goes to show that you don't have to have some catastrophic event in your life to induce trauma. So this applies to all of us. Um, And so don't beat yourself up if you're like, well, there are people who have it so much worse. Sure. But attend and give yourself grace to what you're feeling and what is happening to you and validate that. And then also we're all going to have our baggage. And so I just cannot imagine, like you said, if you add on poverty or abusive relationships or abusive anything, abuse of any kind, that's just next level. And my heart just goes out to the people who actually do um, have to face that and deal with that. And so, so happy that there are people like you in their lives seeing that and seeing them and guiding them through that. Right. Well, and I think too, something to know is that it doesn't always have to be a familial issue. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kids can be traumatized by other kids. Like Good kids point. are freaking mean and I see it all the time. Kids are, they can be evil, like evil humans. But I think that too, because children's brains are not developed until, I mean, sometimes even into their thirties that they're not fully understanding the repercussions of calling the kid who, you know, has a ding dong at lunch fat. Like that can be, so detrimental and also just like community. And, you know, I grew up in a household that we, my parents were not religious. Both my mom and my stepdad grew up in the Mormon church or the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, religion. And they wanted nothing to do with it once they, you know, got out. And that was something that we just, I never grew up with that. I mean, I went to church with my grandma, but I always felt like I was the oddball out because I mean, the majority of my friends were a part of that church and which is fine. And I respected that, but I always felt like I was kind of the, the odd man out, I guess, because they would talk about it. And that was something that was really kind of, I wouldn't say traumatizing to me, but it was definitely something that even now triggers me and something that, you know, when I started teaching, I had to really deal with my own bias of students that were a part of that religion because I could not understand it, but I had to check myself and my own bias so that I didn't 
come across as being an ignorant person or being disrespectful. And that's so important too, is checking our own biases and prejudices. We all have them. It's recognizing them and then transcending them. And it's how we deal with them and not perpetuating them, especially with people in our lives and our kids and all of that. And it's, it's addressing your own biases, like you said. And then I relate to you, girl. I, I had, I grew up in the, in the LDS church, but my mom was Catholic. And so I wasn't baptized until I was 13. And I remember in, I think it was like second grade, I'd show up and every day I'd get off the bus. And one of my best friends, every single day, she'd greet me at the bus and ask me, are you baptized yet? Are you baptized yet? Are you baptized yet? And that has an effect. Like you said, it has an effect. And though it wasn't some huge macro event, it still had an effect. And I always felt a little ostracized because I wasn't quite in because my mom wasn't a member. And there'd be times where my sister or myself would be not invited to birthday parties because our friends would tell us, well, we can't associate with you because you're not a member. And that has a very isolating effect. And you carry that with you. And it's in your consciousness or subconscious like whether you know it or not it's in there in your psyche and absolutely and I think too like just and maybe this is just specifically to southeastern Idaho and Utah I don't I mean I've lived in other places but it doesn't seem like the push to be a part of any specific religion is something that is important to the community or to the to the region as much as I think it is in Idaho um yeah I think you're right Particularly, you know, when I moved to Preston, I have a full sleeve of tattoos. I am not a member and I can't tell you (laughs) how many like scared looks I got that first day of school for all these kids walking. I mean, I don't think that they've ever had a teacher that has a full sleeve of tattoos. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah, that's (laughs) different here in this little bubble. Yeah, (laughs) kind of triggered me a little bit and made me super self-conscious yeah wow what are these kids thinking of me that I'm not a good enough teacher that I'm a bad person that you know like it it, you just let your mind wander but also it made me really self-conscious and I had to kind of sit in that and be like okay so why am I so self-conscious about this like I was the one that wanted to get the tattoo like it's a memoir for my you know a memory for my grandmother like why am I so traumatized, I guess, by this experience. And I guess using that is kind of a a loaded word, but I mean, yeah, and triggered. And when you feel triggered, I love what you had said, how you sat with that and you faced it head on instead of just dismissing it or repressing it, you sat with it and you're like, okay, so why am I feeling this way? And really dug into it instead of glossing over it or ignoring it. And I think that's crucial. When I think that ask yourself, yeah, people need to be able to, to acknowledge, like I feel uncomfortable. Why is that? What, what is causing me to feel that way? And I think a lot of it just goes back to mindfulness, being mindful of yourself, being mindful of your own biases, your own experiences, because none of us are going to live the same life. And it's okay that you have lived a, a different life and that you've, experienced adversity and you've experienced these things, that's not a reason for you to like totally give up and say, well, okay, I'm not worthy of this, this, or that because of this, this, or that. Like 
it's okay that you feel that way. And it's okay to validate the way that you're feeling because nobody can ever tell you that you shouldn't feel that way. Exactly. Yes. And make peace with others, not understanding you and others criticizing you. And that can really be a tough pill to swallow, but it's liberating once you get there. Yes. And still, even sometimes, even if you feel like you've reach that point, there will still be moments likely that you'll be like, yeah, that just really sucks. Or it'll really trigger you if somebody criticizes you, especially if it's somebody of a certain status or a certain relationship. And it really can be jarring and unsettling and disheartening. And sometimes you, again, like you said, have to sit with that and address that. And that's where the healing happens is when you ask yourself the questions and dig into the discomfort. If you lean in, that's when the magic and the healing can happen. But you have to be the one to want that. And I think that that's also something that's important. Like we all walk around with an invisible backpack. We all have crap that we carry around on a daily that nobody's going to see. Yeah. And not, like I said, not everybody's experience is going to be the same. And I feel like you have to be able to be humble enough to say like, I feel uncomfortable and let's, let's think about why. You know, and it it just takes a lot of practice to be mindful of your emotions and not just run on autopilot all the time. Yes. Being able to set, to step back and say, you know what, I don't feel very comfortable by this. Why? Like, even if you're like watching a TV show, there are some TV shows that I cannot watch because it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, and I know that about myself. Like I refuse to watch TV shows or movies that have sexual or physical violence. I just cannot handle it. And it is a trigger for me. And so I know to stay away from that, but there are some people that are not mindful enough to say like, okay, I feel uncomfortable because these two people are arguing. It's starting to escalate. Maybe I should walk away. Yeah, you're right. And so I think that's the first step is just, being aware of yourself and your emotions and what you have experienced. And I am a huge advocate for therapy. I am a, I, and I used to be totally against it. I used to say, I'm never going back to counseling. I'd had bad experiences as a kid. It just was not something that I was interested in doing. And then I had a mental breakdown in 2016. And that was the breaking point. Like I had to get help. And a lot of the help that I received helped me to be able to be a better person because I hated myself in high school. I hated myself up until probably I was 22, 23. And I really had to dig deep into why I didn't like myself. Why, why was I acting this way? Why was I saying these things Mm -hmm. and going to therapy helped me so much. And I even was able to kind of heal a little bit because I started to understand why I would do the things that I did. Yes. And that generates the self-awareness, like you had said, is so important. And like you said, it's important to go to therapy, even if you've had bad past experiences, because I've gone to therapy too, and I've had counselors that I didn't feel supported by and counselors that I didn't really vibe with. And that made a big difference. I didn't feel comfortable being vulnerable with them. They were fantastic people. They just didn't align with me and I just didn't feel comfortable with them. And so if you find somebody, if you've gone to therapy and you've tried it once and it wasn't for you, or so you say, 
give it another go. There are so many different kinds of therapists out there and there's a fit for you. And it is truly transformative once you find your good fit. Yep. And also, you know, I feel like counseling and therapy and all of those things are very, again, taboo because nobody wants to admit that they need to go get help. Ain't nobody want to say, hi, I'm struggling, help me. And a lot of the therapists that I've gone to, you know, it, I, I, like, like you said, I've jived with some and others I didn't. And honestly, when I first started going to counseling, I was hesitant. I did not want to go because of the experiences that I had as a kid. And it was kind of really uncomfortable to be able to sit there with a person that I didn't know from Adam and word vomit everything that had happened to me and all of these experiences and all of these, you know, adverse experiences that I had, you know, had and hope to the, to, you know, good Lord above that they're not going to go out to their friends and be like, Oh, I talked to this one girl today. Get a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. And good, good point though, that there will be uncomfortable moments, no matter if it's a good fit for you or not. It's, Especially if you're really digging into your trauma, don't expect it to just be a nice, pleasurable chat. No. It's going to yeah. get heavy sometimes, as it should. That's when the healing happens. And yeah, well, we, we learn and we grow when we're Yes. You should feel like they are holding space for you. You should feel safe emotionally, yeah. physically, and you should feel supported. And that's when you know that you're with your fit if you feel safe and supported. Yeah. And if they also make the effort to build that relationship, because I had one experience with a counselor that like, they just did not, they just didn't fit because they just could not understand my relationship with my family or it just felt very one-sided. And I was like, okay, this isn't working. Find me somebody else. Like, yeah. And when I found her, it was amazing. Like, I looked forward to my therapy every other week because I knew that even if things were going great, there was still something that we could talk about because life is life. We all experience life and it's hard. Yes, exactly. And I love that you had highlighted the point that some view it as a weakness or some feel like they don't want to admit that they need to go to therapy or they feel like they should go to therapy. No, 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 no. Therapy is not a sign of going to therapy. is not a sign of weakness. If anything, it's a sign of strength that you're taking ownership and you're actually taking responsibility for yourself and for healing yourself. And it's to be commended. Exactly. And also to be able to have your feelings validated because sometimes yeah feel emotional we're like oh my gosh we're being so ridiculous like calm it down but really you should feel your feelings yes oh my gosh yes feel them you don't have to attach yourself to them and you can let them float by but they are messengers and they show where you need to heal and they show triggering spots but feelings are feelings and they arise for a reason and so yes feel them what you resist persist they'll manifest themselves later at some point if you repress them they'll just fester and pop up later usually worse and so if you don't feel them you're in for a world of hurt later right well and for example like I um 
so I lost my grandma in 2012. She was my rock. She was my everything. Yes. She was my person. Yeah. And when she got sick and she died, it my like my life just, I felt like everything was in slow motion. Uh, yes. Like, you know, on the TV shows when somebody dies or they get bad news and everything is just like slow motion and it's just like muffled. That is exactly wow. how I yeah. So what did I do? I went and got engaged and then I got married to a, a man who I had barely knew because I did not know what else to do. I was like, okay, well, I've lost my grandma, so I don't know how to live the life of a normal human without her. So what can I do <laughs> to make myself <laughs> feel more normal? And that was to go and get married. And neither of us had any business getting married. And I'm sure that he would agree with that. But I, I learned a lot because when, so my grandma died, I got married. I was instantly able to attach to my, my then husband. And then when we divorced, I immediately got into another relationship, ironically with somebody who was going into the counseling program through ISU. So I was like, this is weird. But anyway, (laughs) then when we broke up my, like I literally lost all footing and that's what caused me to go into the mental breakdown. But I learned that I was so attached to these relationships because I did not know how to be on my own emotionally, you know, mentally. I did not know how to be stormy because I had never had to be. Yeah. And so when I, you know, had that mental breakdown, I mean, I literally thought I was going to die the first time I had a panic attack. I was, I was on the floor and I was like, this is how I die. This is how it ends. And I, you know, ended up going to therapy that I got put on meds and it was, it was hard. I mean that I, it was my last semester of my undergrad and I don't, I, I looking back, I don't know how I did it, wow. but like I got through it and now I'm able to understand, like I, when I'm in relationships, whether that's with my mom, a boyfriend, my best friend, like I know myself enough now because of all of that that I can I can be alone like I'm okay now being alone but boy it's taken a long time yeah Yeah. and you had to do the work and get in there so going back to your panic attack that you just referenced how did you get through that did you did you well excuse me did you just write it out or did you have any techniques that you used what did that look like for you from start to end so it was the first time I'd ever experienced a panic attack um, and panic so attacks. Unsettling. <laughs> yeah. Like I think panic attacks look different. And I think that people also mix up anxiety attacks with panic attacks. Mm. Um, I'm not a professional, so don't quote me on that. But my experience with the panic attack, I was in the shower. I was getting ready to go to my best friend's baby shower. Um, and I just, I just felt this like impending doom and just for, I don't who knows why? Yeah, yeah. I got out of the shower. I laid on my bedroom floor and I was hyperventilating. I couldn't feel my hands. My hands started oh. to curl. My, I just, my body started to tingle. And I was oh like, what is going on? I became incredible. I became completely paralyzed. Um, and I was just bawling my eyes out. And I remember laying on the floor, looking out my bedroom window. And I literally thought to myself, like, this is how I die. The, today oh. will be day that I die. And the next thought that I had was, what are my, what's going to happen to my dog? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that's such like a weird thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
She's like pacing out around me. Like she didn't know what to do. Yeah. So I ended up calling my best friend with my nose. Wow. And she just lived up the hill and I, I called her and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And and I ended up getting into my house and I was literally naked on my floor. I'd just gotten out of the shower and she just laid on top of me. That's how, that's how I got out of it. She just came and put all of her weight on top of me and bless her because she did not have to do that. And it's funny because we talked about it <laughs> afterward. And she's like, the only reason I knew how to get you out of that was because I watched a Grey's Anatomy episode. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy for the win. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's why weighted blankets are so effective because there's something to that. Yep. And do you so have a weighted blanket? I do. Oh, me I- too. It is fantastic. <laughs> yes. It's so nice. And you know, after that, I, I had a lot of panic attacks and I actually haven't had one. Well, I guess I had one right after we went into like quarantine, but I feel like as I've grown and I've kind of done a little bit more self-awareness um, research in myself, I also can catch myself before I get so far into the panic attack. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you know, meditation is really huge. I meditate every day. Um, and I think that that's also something that can help with people that have experienced trauma. I mean, just being able to slow your mind and focus just on your breathing and your chest, you know, moving up and down, that is great first step. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it really, uh, generates and encourages that mindfulness and helps you really dial into, what thoughts and emotions are coming up and helps prevent you from staying on autopilot and going on an autopilot because it forces you to really connect with yourself and instill that sense of calm and that can carry through the rest of your day. Absolutely. Yes. What other stuff, I mean, techniques and resources would you suggest for people? Um, so as far as meditation goes, I, on my phone, I have what's called the calm app and it's just a meditation app. Um, it's free, but then, um, you only get so many, you know, free guided meditations. Um, it's $59 a year on Android. I'm sure it's probably the same on iOS, but it is worth it. Like $59 a year. I'm going to do it. I'm fine with that. Yes. It's worth it. Yes. And there are different, um, like classes, I guess you could say there's like seven days of calm, seven days of managing stress, 21 days of calm. I mean, there are just different like things that you can, um, move through as far as meditation goes. And so that's something that you can do. Um, also yoga and Pilates. I mean, I know that that's kind of bringing an exercise, but moving your body and being mindful at the same time can really help. And movement can be a meditation. So walking for me is one way that I meditate. So moving meditation is a thing. And there's so many different meditation apps and resources. So on YouTube, they have guided meditation, Spotify, there are guided meditation channels and Headspace is another app. So yeah, there are so many options. Well, and I think too, if you, if people are hesitant to like go reach out or if they have like financial issues, as far as finding 
um, like a therapist, because it can be expensive if you don't have insurance. Um, I know if you're a student at ISU, they have free um, counseling through oh. the counseling center at ISU. Um, I'm sure that Health West, they could find you a sliding scale uh, therapist or counselor. Um, but if, if you're not at a point where you're willing to go in and do counseling, definitely meditation or finding, you know, working out, going for a walk, going on a bike ride, going and taking your dog to Bart's and throw the ball. I mean, there are so many things that you can do to help yourself, especially if you're feeling triggered or you're feeling overwhelmed with emotion and you just don't know how to sit in that, find something, but don't use it as a excuse to go out and party or yes I was just gonna say be careful of that that you don't use it as a crutch or to numb out so like food or exercise or partying anything like that be careful that it's actually encouraging mindfulness right healing and what else was I gonna say about meditation oh so even if you're just entering the meditation world and you're easing into it, start with two minutes a day. Don't feel like you need to sit down for an hour because then you'll likely just get frustrated. And all you have to do is just set your phone for two minutes and or get the Calm app or the Headspace app, whatever, but just focus on showing up and then maybe add another minute and then add another minute. And then you can try like the longer guided meditations and just show up, just- That's a good point because I mean- on calm i don't know if this is the same for any of the other ones it's so nice because i catch myself when i'm meditating i'm like okay so i have this to do today i have that to do tomorrow i have (laughs) this and it's like you have to be able and it's nice to have the guided because they're like okay you're probably starting to trail off thinking about what you want to think about for today let's come back and just focus on your breathing feel the breath going in your nose out your mouth and just do yeah two minutes a day First thing when you get up, right before you get in the shower, sit in your bathroom and do it. And it sets the intention for the day as well. And then you can move through the rest of your day with intention and not just on autopilot. Yes. And that's everything. That is so impactful. Yes. And yeah, the guided does help, especially when you're getting the hang of actually, I don't want to say controlling your thoughts because you're not necessarily controlling. You're just allowing and you're just letting things flow. Being mindful of your thoughts. Well put. Yes. So meditation, exercise, what else? Um, I mean, just self-care, I think in general, I, and that looks different for different people. I mean, I love to read. And so that's a, you know, point of self-care for me is reading. Some people just like a big meal or, you know, baking a cake or being, you know, going in and sewing a blanket or, I mean, there are a variety of different things and that also can help you, you know, move through the emotions that you feel in regards to trauma. I mean, sitting down and just being, just love yourself, give yourself that grace and that that compassion to feel the way that you're feeling and go and do something that you like to do. And it doesn't necessarily have to cost money. No. And love, just like with most things in life, it's about balance. So the love and the self-care and the bubble baths and the candles and the massages and meditation, all of that, but also self-love 
includes tough love. So don't let yourself check out. Don't disengage from yourself. Don't let yourself numb out. And that's when you really have to sometimes lean into the discomfort, examine your triggers, be honest with yourself and show up for yourself. Well, and I mean, too, if people are wondering like, well, I don't really think that I have any trauma in my past or whatever, I would encourage people to go and take the ACEs test. Um, Oh, yeah. So it's adverse childhood experiences. And you can log on to Google and just type in ACEs test and it'll pop it up. It's a 10 question um, evaluation, I guess you want to call it. And it's all prior to your 18th birthday. And then it gives you a score. So, um, so for instance, mine is seven out of 10, my ACE score, and it'll, you know, on the website, it can, it'll break down kind of what that means. And being mindful of that also can help you kind of navigate the way that you feel in certain situations. So if you know, like, for instance, my parents drink a lot um, like growing up and that was something and addiction runs really heavily in my family. And so that was something that I was really mindful of, um, you know, turning 21 was, I was not going to become an addict, um, like my family members. And because I was mindful of that, I was able to say like, okay, we're getting a little crazy with the wine. We're going to try it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And a point I want to make too, and I want you to weigh in, is sometimes your mind tries to protect you and you'll have memory loss. So mm-hmm. keep this in mind too if you're taking this ACEs test and or just thinking and assessing your life in general. And sometimes you won't be able to recall details or even certain events because your mind is trying to protect you. And sometimes there will be triggers for me that I'll try to sit with and I can feel it's like there's a wall there and my mind will not let me dig into it. And I try and I try. And so when that happens, be patient with yourself. Don't force it, sit with it, surrender to it. Just allow it, allow it to flow, sit with it, sit with it, be patient. And then maybe not that day, but eventually if you, are mindful enough and patient enough with yourself, then eventually those walls will release, especially through the help of therapy and other tools, then you can access that and then really heal. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think we see this a lot with soldiers that come back from, um, you know, war yeah. and they have these lapses in memory and, you know, what they, what they remember and what happened. And, um, so my ex-husband was in the army and he deployed And one of our really good friends, he went to a different base than my ex-husband, but within like, I don't know, the first, I think three weeks that they were there, there was a, an incident and our friend was injured in that, that incident. And he, you know, watched some of his, his platoon mates, you know, die. And he, received a traumatic brain injury. He caught some shrapnel, um, was sent home, but like he could not remember like everything that happened, particularly I think because of the traumatic brain injury that he experienced. Um, But, you know, afterward he hit, when he came home, um, his wife is 
uh, one of my best friends and she would say like he either wouldn't sleep or he'd have really bad nightmares. Um, and I think a lot of that was because that trauma was coming back to him and he did not know how to handle it because we are all very, I'm sure aware that the military does not handle mental health issues very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he just really struggled in it. Um, oh, yes. That trauma, you know, come up after they had their first son. So right when he got back, um, him and his wife ended up getting pregnant pretty, pretty quickly after he came home. And when he was born, I mean, I don't think he, he really wasn't a dad for quite some time after his son was born. And it wasn't because he didn't want to be, I mean, the man was freaking pumped that he was a dad. It was just, he had some trauma. One of his um, platoon mates had died during that accident and his wife was pregnant. And I feel, and after, you know, talking to him and talking to his wife and, you know, having this conversation, it was a lot of guilt. He just felt very guilty that he was able to come home and have a kid and, you know, his, his friend's son now has to grow up without his dad. And that trauma just followed him home and then followed him. And then, I mean, still into now. And, um, I mean, and he'll even tell you himself that he really struggles still, but he is, he's now putting in the work to try and, you know, be better. Yes. Wow. And another thing I want to say too, is healing isn't linear and sometimes you'll regress. And that doesn't mean that all progress is lost. That doesn't mean that you necessarily will slip back. It just means that you need to be patient with yourself and give yourself grace. There have Mm -hmm. been times where I thought that I had dealt with a trauma and I was good to go. And I thought that I had sat with the emotions and I had felt them and released them. And then a few months later, something completely unrelated triggered it. And then I was just done. And so remembering that, giving yourself grace and just being patient with the whole process. Oh, absolutely. And, and even if you do regress, like that doesn't mean that you have to sit there forever. Totally. Exactly. And it's okay. And you know, if you have a lapse in memory, don't, don't fixate on that because that's not, that's not where you have to live. You can visit there sometimes, but you don't have to live in that, um, you know, lapse. Yes. So important. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, anything else that you want to share with people, any other tools, resources, insight? Um, I mean, therapy is a big thing. Also being able to have a safe space if you are being triggered, um, or, you know, some, you're feeling anxious about something, create a safe space in your house, whether that's, you know, just in your bathtub without any water, with some blankets and an iPad, like just jamming out to music, that's fine, but create a safe space that when you are triggered and you're aware of that trigger, that you can go to a safe space um, to kind of recover from that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Stormy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will put the ACEs link in the notes so you guys can just go right there and click on it. And thank you everybody for listening. I encourage you to think more deeply about 
trauma and how it has shown up in your life or the lives of those you know, because it does affect all of us. So thank you so much, Stormy. Of course, no problem. Bye, everyone.